The Hot 4 podcast this week is proudly sponsored by TEP Machinery Movement. TEP Machinery's fleet of lifting equipment, forklifts and vehicles, coupled with their highly experienced team and extensive knowledge gained over 40 years, means they can support you with all your equipment installation, removal and movement requirements, as well as providing support for your ongoing maintenance and repair access needs. Ensure your equipment is placed in the right location, first time, every time. Give TEP Machinery Movement a call today on 01937 558 203. That's 01937 558 203. This is Nick Law and you're listening to the Hot Forward Podcast, getting you ahead in the brewing and beer business. Hotforward.beer is a podcast and website dedicated to the beer industry, supporting budding beer entrepreneurs by gaining insights from experienced brewers and folk within the craft beer industry. So grab a glass, pour yourself a beer, and let's get into this week's episode. Hello brewers and beer drinkers, it's time to drink stout to help out for another hop forward podcast every summer well before covid at least uh, me and my family take our annual vacation to one of our go-to spots in the uk although i would love to travel to far-flung destinations in search of culture and food and drink and to explore all the world has to offer i must confess i tend to romanticize traveling more than the actual reality so every summer we head to a destination such as Sea Houses up in Northumberland, which is uh, mere stone's throw from Bamborough, which is a lovely part of the world. And now you might think this is a consolation prize in that kind of Jimbo in bullseye. Let's see if you would be really disappointed if you have a look at what you would have won. Have a look at what tonight's star prize was. But to be honest, I'm far too introverted uh, for some beach in the Mediterranean. And quite frankly, quite like my own space to just, you know, think. And I ain't really got anywhere to put a speedboat. Um... Places like Bamber just feel spiritual to me. You know, it's what I refer to as a quote-unquote thin place where the physical realm meets the unseen. Uh, we often go to Linda's Farm, which is known as the Holy Island, uh, and, and I dream of this idyllic existence of being a brewer on the island, spending vast amount of times, spending vast amounts of time in contemplation and solitude while brewing beers and mead and all that kind of stuff. However, these days I'm a city dweller and I'd miss the hustle and bustle of visiting bars and breweries and meeting people and having a more sociable pace of life. But I find deep down my oldest and truest longings are to contemplate and create. The idea of making something and being away from it all, whatever it is, is just immensely appealing I'm certainly not the only one to have these desires. There are countless stories of brewers and cider and winemakers across the world who have abandoned city life and the smell of traffic and smog for the countryside and the aroma of freshly malted barley and green hops. One such couple to take such a bold step are Miranda Hudson and Derek Bates, founders of Duration Brewing. Leaving a brewing post at Brew by Numbers and Architects in London, respectively, Bates and Miranda found a majestic site in Westacre, Norfolk, rooted amongst the ruins of a 12th century priory. 
Duration Brewing is nestled in ancient woodlands midway along the Nar Valley Pilgrim Trail, in the ruins of an old priory and by the banks of a chalk river with seasonal camping and a variety of accommodation close by. Having worked tirelessly on planning applications to convert a 16th century barn on a site that holds the same ancient monuments and archaeological areas protection as Stonehenge was a massive undertaking in and of itself, let alone the conversion and construction of the site from a derelict ruin to a brew house containing a nearly fully automated German kit with all mod cons while retaining its character and its charm. Fortune favours the brave and Bates and Miranda brewed their first beer on the 23rd of October 2019. Beers such as the soft, juicy, tropical APA called Turtles All The Way Down, a title that alludes to the mythological idea of a world turtle that supports the flat earth on its back, that could be a real thing surely, are a shining example of the quality of beer that craft beer geeks and local residents alike could look forward to for many years to come. The future was looking bright. Then, as we all know, COVID-19 will plunge the world and the brewery into uncertainty. I guess it's times like this that really are make or break, especially for the people who have put their heart and soul and much on the line to accomplish their goals and see their vision fulfilled. In this recent conversation with Miranda, you'll hear in detail about the challenges she and Bates have experienced over the years of putting duration together. We discuss their story, their ethos and share some experiences of pre and post COVID times and look to a promising future while remaining thankful regardless of the current circumstances. Perhaps things may not have transpired for duration as they originally planned, but the best laid plans of mice and men can't keep Miranda and Bates from doing it anyway. Each and every week, we're partnering with Brew School to bring you the latest brewing jobs in the UK. And this week's featured job is with Origin Beer Co. This is a great opportunity to join a new ambitious craft brewery in the heart of Leith, Edinburgh. They're looking for somebody to be their brand ambassador to both drive their presence nationally and internationally. The brewery is located next to the shore in Leith and will be in production by the end of January 2021. Although the brewery is new, they have plenty of experience within the industry and plan to hit the ground running from the get-go. They believe they have a unique brand and name and believe they have something great to offer the market. They want the brewery to be involved in the local community and build a great team and they want you to express yourself and drive your ideas forward with their backing. They believe a happy working environment is the best thing to create a successful business. And if you want to be a part of that, it sounds like Origin Beer Co. might have the role for you. Your responsibilities will include maintaining the website and social media profiles and sharing their beer journey. You'll need to attend industry events on behalf of the company, as well as organising events in and outside of the brewery. You'll have a budget to work with, so you should be good at crunching numbers and keeping track of that. Experience is preferred, but they will need to look at all applications. Uh, you need to be good with social media platforms, obviously, and a good communicator and be willing to challenge ideas as well as being challenged yourself. They want someone who is good at problem solving, but it's important, most of all, that you have a passion for beer and the products they create. 
So if you're interested, uh, follow the link on brewing-jobs.com, uh, find the job and see if it might be a role for you and then send your CV to finley.heslop at originbeerco.com. You can find how you spell that on the website. So get ready for a career in brewing in partnership with Brew School over at brewing-jobs.com. If you like the Hot Forward podcast, and I would hope by episode 95 that you do, uh, make sure you follow us on all the socials if you don't already, at Hot Forward Beers. We're on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, Home in Pigeon, you know, all of it. Uh, just so <laughs> go find us on social media. Um, leave a review on iTunes and Spotify. Um, I know I say this every week. I've got 28 ratings on iTunes and they're all five out of five. So um, I'm going to read a few out. So just to blow smoke up my ass. Uh, one says insightful. Um, oh, Dan Law, 986. I assure you this guy isn't my brother. So if you're listening, Dan, thank you for this. He says, I found these podcasts to be an invaluable insight into the brewing industry. As a home brewer flirting on wanting to go commercial, they have been helpful in giving me the confidence needed to proceed and the reality check of a real hashtag brewer's life. Oh, what a great little review. I remember being told uh, when I once going to the beer industry by loads of brewers, yeah, don't. So I'm glad that I can offer some uh, insights and tips and a hefty dose of reality. Another one says, really great content delivered in an engaging way with a variety of guests from the beer industry. Would highly recommend to anyone with an interest in beer, but particularly those actively engaged in the industry. So massive thank you if you've written a review. Um, it does help the podcast go a long way. I want it to grow the show um, for the next season. So um, if you're a regular listener, please go on uh, Spotify or iTunes or wherever you can leave a review. That would be amazing. And if you if you want to go a step further and work with me and Hot Forward, uh, then check out hotforward.beer where I offer a variety of services for brewers, bottle shops and other beer business owners to help you get ahead in the brewing and beer business. We make your beers look as good as they taste uh, through branding and marketing and we help you brew up a better beer business through consultancy, social media and strategies. So feel free to get in touch uh, via hotforward.beer. I'd love to chat to you and see how we can help out. Right, well, I hope you enjoy this episode with Miranda Hudson from Duration Brewery. Um, I re- thoroughly enjoyed chatting to her. Uh, and just I want to say a massive public thanks to Miranda for sending some beers my way afterwards. Um, the West Coast IPA called Remember When the Pub. It was just lovely, utterly fantastic. I've had a few of their beers now and they're just all really spot on. So if you want to support the brewery and your independent bottle shop, as you'll hear Miranda say towards the end of the show, uh, go seek out their beers down your local bottle shop and that way everybody wins. You win because you get great beer, the bottle shop wins because they get business, the duration brewery wins because they're selling it. So um, yeah, let's crack open today's episode with Miranda from Duration Brewing. This week on the Hot Four podcast, I'm joined by Miranda Hudson, Managing Director and Co-Founder of Duration Brewing. Hello. Hiya, how's it going? I'm all right, thank you. Yourself? Yeah, not too bad for a dreary Monday. Dreary Monday. It was meant to be sunny today as well. We, we're, we're trying to paint our front door. We've, do you know when you've got like a job where you've got to, like, you've got to do about five jobs to get to a job? Yeah. So we've been trying to recarpet our living room. And in order to recarpet our living room, we've had to have some of the floorboards up and replaced. We've had to have some sealant put down. 
and some damp proofing. Then we've had to have a new door put in and now we're having to paint the door just to have a new carpet. So. Oh no, you take me back to building the brewery. Well, we'll come on to that. I thought I thought I might. <laughs> um, I mean, I'm I'm pretty sure most of our listeners will be pretty familiar with duration. But for those who aren't, can you give us a bit of an overview of the brewery and what kind of beers you make and what sort of setup you have and that kind of thing? Yeah, sure. So Duration Brewing is a farmhouse brewery. Um, we wanted to be destinational, but 2020 wasn't our year. Um, and this online counts. <laughs> and we make um, we make wild ales and fresh beers. So we've we've done a lot of the fresh beers so far. Some of the wild about to come out, um, but quite a broad range. And we're over in Norfolk, and um, we brew on like quite a high end kit. It's a twenty hectolitre um, browcon, and uh, we clean our water and do lots of things to really connect brewing back to its agricultural roots. So yeah, that's that's us. That sounds like a German kit to me. Yes, it yeah, is. Yeah, I was going to say, it uh, sounds, sounds quality. <laughs> um, yeah, it's been heavily customised, and I'd say by English standards, it's almost fully automated. Right. By German standards, it's only semi-automated, but it's 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 quite bells and whistles-y. Um, yeah, so it helps us make really consistent beer. Awesome. It sounds not too dissimilar to, um, I was at um, Hackney Church Bruco last they year. Got- I've got a brow comb. Yeah, I, th- I thought so, um, mm-hmm. because um, yeah, I was with the brewer at Hackney Church Bruco, and uh, he was, like, saying how, oh, it's, yeah, it's semi-automated this, but, you know, it's like, you only pushed a button and it did everything. <laughs> I was like, wow, that looks pretty automated, more or less, throughout, <laughs> but in comparison to what I'm used to, so. Aww. um I mean, Abra Bates, um, he, he had brewed on a lot of different, kits and he really wanted some customizations because he's got quite a broad breadth of styles that he Mm. wanted to do so everything from sort of you know pilsners to west coast to sort of wheat beers and to do a lot um um all over the show really so so he, he he definitely wanted lots of customization on the kit to make it kind of versatile enough and um browcon were just really great at kind of um taking what our intention was and then just making it relevant in the technology and in the equipment. So they were a real sort of dream to work with from a sort of project point of view. Um, I learned so much having, you know, I'm not from a brewing background at all. So um, sitting in on those meetings where Bates was talking with them, with the teams there to say how he wanted each beer to, work and how the brew house had to sort of get to a certain point in order to meet those brews was uh was really really marvelous to watch actually yeah so when did you get into the beer industry and, and how did the concept of duration come about if you take us right right back to whenever that was <laughs> well so i remember walking so we used to live in brixton mm. and uh, me and bates uh we're, we're our husband and wife team but we met you know, in 2010, and he he shortly after that came over for a visit, and uh, and I think you know there were maybe three breweries in the whole of London, and uh, the beginnings of a few others, and then in 2012, I don't even think I knew that he was a brewer. I still thought he was just a chef. I mean, he's not someone of loads of words, so he took a bit of a dark horse. But yeah, we <laughs> walked past Brixton Brewery, and he was like oh yeah, I might get back into brewing now because I've been to like, you know, um, 
Uto beer in Borough Market and he was like oh they've got a nice range of beers when is beer going to kick off in London and then all of a sudden this whole other side of him dropped out um so I guess I got into beer through going on trips to the states with Bates and you know we went and did sort of a, a few state tours at once and we did the east coast and all the way up to Vermont and um hung out in Chicago a bit and went to you know, an early Lagunitas, I guess. And um, and then in, in London, I'd say I got introduced to the brewing industry through Bates, but more just from a sort of, I went along to my fellas work do and it was brew by yeah. and, you know, hung out with them, but wasn't really thinking that I'd ever get involved. Mm. And, so what were you doing back then? Um, back then I was working with, architects doing up people's houses oh right okay yeah um and then Bates kept talking about you know while he was at brew by I think he he really enjoyed how experimental they were real early days and how many saisons and you know got to do their set up their barrel sort of program for them and yeah we had an opportunity like maybe 2014 to sort of pitch a brew pub idea and the people we pitched it to, they were really keen. They were from like restaurant backgrounds. And I remember being really excited and thinking, God, Bates, this is like a brilliant thing. Like someone's going to like pay us to set up a brewery. And Bates was like, mm, yeah, I don't know if I want that. And I was like, why not? He's like, well, it's a brew pub. It's London. And they kind of want me to work for them. And I can see where they'll go. And I can mm. see where I want to go. And we're going to it's not going to be aligned. So it's good that I could see that from then because myself included, there are lots of people who've been on that journey mm. and had that oh crap moment after. And then I was like, well, I'm in it now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's a very self-governed person, whereas I'm definitely the crowd pleaser. I'm like, Oh, that's a nice idea. Oh, that's a nice idea. Mm. And I turn into the magpie, whereas he's kind of don't know. He's got this vision of how he sees things. And then I get tasked with the job of making them. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, yeah, I guess I got into it through his brew by numbers days, which ended, I guess, about seven. Hmm. My timeline. Has your timeline gone really weird in COVID? I'm just like, (laughs) but yeah, I guess, I guess Mila was very, very little. Our daughter who's eight now. So maybe the end of 2000. 16 so maybe four years ago Mm. um yeah and then the idea for duration came about for me it came about a lot through that pitch that we did in 2014 because um I said to Bates it's too good an opportunity to pass up and we should definitely construct a little business plan and spend a little bit of time for it and just have the pitch I said if anything it'd be like going into Dragon's Den and just you know just be it good even if we say no to it. Um, so, so I started thinking in earnest and I think the model then we called it beast and barley and we made like a website and it was like, um, you know, a food offering and, and, uh, a small tap room and, you know, not much more supply than beyond the tap room and to sort of do a whole animal, whole grain animal brewery sort of circle so yeah for me that's when i i first felt like oh yeah i I like drinking beer and you know beer people seem nice and yeah maybe i could see myself in this role somehow 
Yeah. So, so why did you decide to set up in Norfolk then? So when, when you started, in, you know, it, it starts to actually become a reality. Yeah. So, what, so why that location? One of the, one of the things that didn't appeal to Bates about the brew pub was being in London. You know, like he was thinking, right, rates are going to get high. There's going to be a lot of competition. Uh, footfall, you know, you're, you're going to basically be competing against your very next door neighbour to, to pull people off the track to come to you. And you'll probably be shoehorned into, you know, a small place because, because, because the rent will be so expensive. So he's from South Carolina. So, and, and, you know, he's really interested in where you can go with yeast, I guess, in beer. Mm. So, so farmhouse in words and, and in practice. So, so we needed to find somewhere where the, you know, flora and everything around us was good, where there was a natural water source, where there was good old established hardwood trees and fruit and, you know, where you can, if you are going to try and do a bit where you work off the land, where there's actually farmers. <laughs> So that, you know, your additional, I don't know, plums or apple blossom or whatever you want to put in is is readily available by people who've been doing it for generations. So Norfolk kind of made sense. And for me, it was quite close to London, which is where I have strong ties. Um, and also, like, when we, when we started looking, I think we were looking in Bristol and London and Bristol was already sort of beginning to kick off. And it really appealed to us, like rightly or wrongly, to just go off the beaten track a bit. And like in Norfolk, they love beer. Like mm. there's a real tie to ale. And they don't even call it real ale. They just like ale. So I'm like, well, that's, that's not tainted. It's just a beer-loving culture close to London that has farming. <laughs> so... Yeah, and there's quite an affluent um, sort of crowd around here as well, especially up on the coast. And so, you know, if people value, you know, local produce and um, the finer things of sort of Epicurean mm. lifestyles, then then beer surely was, was going to come if yeah. someone just sort of nudged it along a bit. So it's kind of like a little bit like far and away yeah. to put our flag in. It's, I mean, I, I find um, in, in those kind of areas that there's something um, almost spiritual, I find, going going to places like that and kind mm. of connect, connecting with nature and, and kind of back to earth. I've really got into the idea of making cider recently, not that I've taken the step to do it. I think my wife will kill me when I tell her about that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we give our yeast to a cider maker here. I do. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, but this, I, there's just something, you know, about that i mean do you think there's an interlink um with breweries such as like duration or hill farmstead even mm -hmm. um that create these kind of rustic farmhouse beers and, and the scenery around them and, yeah. and how do you find that impacts your outlook on not just life but actually growing your business i think it's hugely evocative i think being re-enchanted by the great outdoors it happens to us you know when we go traveling after or before university it happens to us just you know it's just a way of getting out of your headspace isn't it and mm. i'm i'm a city dweller always have been and yeah there's something that really grounds you like you say connects you but also it's it's 
it like romances you and I feel like it's definitely an ethos it's not just like oh yeah we want a bit of this we'll say natural or we'll say you know organic or I don't know it's beyond that it's like we've totally submerged ourselves in our landscape and that's the only way to do it I think Mm. and for Bates it's a very natural return to something he's always grown up around and for me it's entirely new when I when I moved here there were all these different people and I was like how am I going to ingratiate myself into village life how am I going to get to know all these people and then it's all the stories that they share that just make you feel like embedded and time kind of goes slower. Like there's these people that have lived there for generations. Yeah. I I feel like the location is the brewery. Like it's bigger than the brewery, even just picking the barn we picked. Um, But like, I think Bates really wanted to be a nexus to all of the local talent and producers um, that are in the area. So it's not like, we want to become you know, hop growers. There'll be someone really suitable nearby that can do that. Or we don't want to become like amazing fruit growers that there's going to be those people here. So I feel like, I feel like being a brewery um, and being a farmhouse brewery, it, it just romances you. And I feel like the landscape, the way of life, it's kind of from a different era and it's got its own momentum and all we've got to do is embed ourselves into that and sort of hop on and then it's going to carry us as well. And for Bates, I think it's working in the seasons and having some creative solitude to sort of be inspired by, you know, going at that slower tempo and looking at things more seasonally. And then for me, I just, I love people. So I just want to understand this mindset of, you know, I'm a farmhand and my uncle, my my dad was a farmhand and his dad was a farmhand and he's probably worked for the farmer and his, the dad of the farmer and the dad, grandfather of the farmer. And yeah, I just love that sense that, I mean, we're not hugely traditionalist. We're quite sort of progressive, but I like that passed on knowledge that comes Mm. through people and not through say maybe your more university or educational route so yeah you could be in another world here sometimes walks and there's old bone mills and windmills and you know this rural idyll that kind of you know has just got cows walking along on marshlands eating grass and it just seems otherworldly i love it yeah, I mean, it's. I think there's something about the hustle and bustle of life. Um, mm. I mean, we're in Sheffield, and it's. I mean, it's a far cry from London, um, but it's. You know, it's, it's still pretty busy, and there's just something about that idea of um, getting away from it all, and <laughs> you know, and and I guess that works particularly now through covid which i'm sure we'll touch upon in a bit how everything's virtual and and you know emails and the as you said earlier about the blurring of time i was talking to someone the other day about how um they used to have very regimented you know i'm I'm not working now from this point onwards for the rest of the evening but then all that had got blurred and so on and you know it's all become fast-paced and intermingled and yet actually with um being in the countryside and making stuff Mm -hmm. you know it's it's a much slower pace of life you, you're governed by 
the seasons if you think about like daylight saving hours and all the rest of it yeah it's just you know that whole concept of like you, you, if you're working on a farm you can't really work after four o'clock in winter because you can't see anything you know and equally in the summer you know if if it's a big harvest and and your combine hasn't gone out for a few days because of rain when the good weather's there you've got to literally yeah your nose to the grind and just get that get that field in or yeah so i really like it and it's it's very romantic for me being from a city um but equally it's just at every turn there's there's something new to learn and it's like there's this order and there's this big i don't know arm of a like arm of a clock ticking round and you can't see the full picture but it you know it has its own governance like its mm. own logic and its own laws and it and it's it's tradition at a bigger setting yeah it's like being a tiny little grain of sand in history and I, I really really like it I find it really grounding like even just walking along the beach and every single visit the tide is different and it's mm. just as magical so how, how does that translate into your beers then um I feel like knowing seeing like how much rain has fallen or how much sun has got onto those crops and seeing every day as we're driving you know the three miles from our house to the brewery we pass you know six or so barley fields and seeing how they're doing in their journey and you know the maltster from Chris Maltings he he comes and picks up beer at our brewery kiosk and he's telling us about you know um different different um species that he's working on and different varietals i feel like being embedded and ensconced in in the growing of things just mm. makes it more real like you, it's not like a bag of grain arrives at your brew house bates bates will know what that yield of that particular harvest is going to be like because he's lived in it at the same yep. time it's been grown and just getting inspiration you know like we go to um we go over to a place called um, Nurtured in Norfolk, which actually supplies a lot of restaurants. Um, so it's quite hard for it at the moment, but they do edible sort of cress and micro vegetables and just really odd and quirky um, edible crops. And so, you know, we, we were working with them for a beer where we wanted some flower blossoms and we were working with them when we wanted a, an alternative to hops, so we used geranium leaf and they had a, a rose, a citrus and a pineapple sage, actually, and stuff like that. And just all of that knowledge and all of those people that create all these amazing things, they're all right on tap. Mm. Um, so I feel like the other thing is just the strength of the land. You know, if you are going to be working with wild and spontaneous yeast, you don't really... It doesn't quite have the same ring if you say this is lovely M25 yeast that, you know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> grown up on the A205 and we cultured it up off the bottom of a tyre or whatever. <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty sure there'll be some untapped hypercraft <laughs> yeah. beer lover out there right now drooling. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas if we're walking past veteran oaks that, you know, are dropping their limbs to stable themselves because they're in the last you know, 300 years of a thousand year lifespan, then the mushrooms that support that tree are going to be pretty prolific. And 
so it makes me think that then the, the river that is nearby and everything is going to have an ingrained sort of quality to it that will make the beer better yeah wow i don't know if that's wizardry it probably is i'm not the technical person on our on our team so i think the romance side it creates an amazing story as well so I yeah feel- totally um so i mean we'll come on to that because i want to talk a bit about marketing and stuff in a bit but um yeah. let's just go back a bit so talk us through some of the challenges surrounding converting the old barn that you're in so for, for our listeners who might be unfamiliar with duration you, you're in a 16th century converted barn that's right isn't it that is right yeah yeah um so you, you've taken this old barn mm-hmm. and I, I had a look at the photos early just when i was doing a bit more research and i was like wow that's that really is a a change um so you turn it into a fully functional brewery whilst obviously retaining the character and stuff yeah. and i mean for, firstly i wonder if, if, if you must have watched grand designs or escape to the country right you know yeah, yeah. so yeah. Sh- surely you can relate to those people on those shows now when they take on these ah oh, bought a castle you know it's only got one wall standing but we're gonna convert it into yeah. like uh i always watch those shows thinking what kind of nut ever <laughs> take that on and then i'm like oh, hang on a minute <laughs> I'd always, and I'd I'd worked for about 10 years with architects. So I was trained in, um, you know, interior design Mm. and project management. So I did a lot of delivery of sort of, you know, penthouses in Chelsea or, or, you know, terrace house conversions in, in Brixton or wherever. And and so I was very familiar with being the person that supports the client to deliver what they want within their budget so that so puts this, your head already doesn't it because it's not like this is alan you know he's a maths teacher and yeah. you know oh, i'm gonna project manage this all by myself i have no experience you know yeah. and it's like uh... no and i mean it was way bigger than anything i'd done but i had the like i had the to- the skill sets to sort of know how to come at it even though it's we had to engage a historic architect and we had to have you know um mechanical and sort of engineering team and um and then we had Bates who was working very closely with Browcon and a few other sort of of our systems facilitator you know um and working with a few others of the people who delivered the project so he'd Mm. been researching you know what canning line we were going to have but also by nature of the site we needed um to clean our inbound and our outbound water so that was a whole sort of new project for both of us yeah, I feel like um, had we known what we knew now at the beginning, we definitely would have walked away. But it was one of those, <laughs> take a few little steps, you feel a bit committed, you take a few other steps, people think you've got a good idea, take a few more steps, you, you might be able to get a bit of grant funding, and then all of a sudden you're like, we're committed, we're doing it. Um, but yeah, the site itself is one of 134 scheduled monuments so it's got the same sanctions as stonehenge and wow. other really you know the actual the site itself yeah. not any building but just the site right. is did really specialized um so we had to apply to the secretary of state to do anything and then the barn this 16th century barn that was probably repurposed from a priory that was like 10th or 11th century that fell um and there's a few ruins of that around the place but this 16th century barn was sort of grew out of that. And, you know, it's probably an Augustine priory that was part of the dissolution of the monasteries, you know, so it's this massive historic Mm. uh, site. And then there's, you know, bats, water voles, owls, who've all, we've given them, you know, jurisdiction over us. So they're very special 
protected creatures. So there's certain things you can and can't do when, when they're found hibernating or roosting or mating, you know, you've got to leave them be. So we, we had to wait, I think from April to September to find out if we had to change the whole build program to suit whether oh their sort of sexy time. <laughs> Thankfully they were just sleeping there. So they, they weren't as important as like, it wasn't as important a site for them as they, it could have been. But yeah, I think that it was, um, it was a lot of work. It was definitely felt like a grand design. Um, and it was really ambitious. And I feel like we just had to keep finding ways to reach the end goal. And all we had to do is think of what it would be like at the end. And I think that whole, what we were talking about, enchantment, you know, evocative, beautiful, escapey kind of, you know, romantic thing what was what kept us going. Yeah. And then we got there and we finished it and, and the world fell apart. <laughs> yeah, goodness. So, I mean, because uh, did you have, when you were planning that and, and the location and, the um, you know, it being a destination, did, you know, did you just have this thing that you, you I presume you've probably seen Field of Dreams. Is it Kevin Costner? <laughs> you know, if you build it, yeah. it will come. You know, you're thinking, oh, you know, people are bound to come to something like this because obviously you've got all the right vibes and stuff about this, mm. this location and this brewery and stuff. Um so just just take us on that journey from from um, sort of get getting close to being able to open and then mm-hmm. putting your first brew through the kit um, and you know and it successfully fermenting and going to package, um, yeah. which I always think every time I package a beer, it's just like that's it's, I've won. <laughs> yes, maybe. <laughs> um, yeah. But so you know, I'd never brewed before, so for me, I was like, well, when is it going to be ready? I want to plan an event, and um, you know. And then we, we didn't have the canning line come straight away. So I was like, oh, I've got to plan a keg only event. And I mean, we've been really lucky because we've been um, sort of putting ourselves out there in terms of nomadic brewing and collab brewing and things mm. like that. But it felt like a huge accomplishment. That day, 23rd of October it was, so a year, pretty much a, just over a year ago, we put a beer in tank. I just felt overwhelmingly proud like if anyone asked me I'd, I'd I was on cloud nine like on top of the world we'd spent um a year and a half getting this business plan raising money figuring out this really complicated build like we all it was almost more work to do the planning for the build than mm. actually once the spades went in the ground because it was so eyeballed and thought about like we had teams consultants um you know we had to because of the planning we had to explain everything before we started just to get it approved and then start so yeah we we'd done this 44 week build program that actually only ran 44 weeks and four days Um, that's pretty good going really good going like i think we had one tiny glitch where an electrician just programmed one circuit board like into the wrong space so we blew the panel that controlled the boiler like and given that we had a German installation happening, we had to fly that particular commissioner back home, get the neck part and then bring them back out to finish it. And we were like, we got the grit, you know, the grist is loaded. <laughs> you want to brew. But that day, 23rd of October, like I was just, you know, kill me now. I've done it. Even if we go pop tomorrow, I've got over this hill. It's like waiting for the birth of your child and I was holding the baby and I was just mm. like, 
whatever, the world can stop. So it felt brilliant and it did feel like jumping through the eye of a needle. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think we had to take a lot of, you know, slightly blinkered baby steps to reach this hugely ambitious goal. And just every time I looked up, I was like, oh, fuck, what are we doing? (laughs) (laughs) So instead, I was just like, just keep going, just keep going and just think about where we wanted to get to next. And then suddenly we had a brew house and then it was just like, well, Bates, you better bloody be able to make good beer. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, so then we put beer out and uh, things were ticking along and uh, we'd sold out of the first few batches and, you know, we were working with mostly wholesale, actually, almost entirely wholesale. I think we had like a couple of local trade accounts. So 16th of March comes along and uh, everyone cancels their orders. Mm. You know, I've got, I've got massive kit to repay. My rent isn't too bad because I'm was sensible, moved out of the city. Uh, I've got three people on payroll. Um, yeah, I've, I'm holding a lot of stock and a lot of grain. And all of a sudden it's like, well, that's it. Kegs are dead in the water. No one's going to buy them for a bit. Pubs are shut. Like, where did this come from? I think we'd all read Paul Jones's blog and we're just like, holy fuck, he was right. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> I'm swearing a lot, aren't I? No, I mean, that, that, I mean, that summarises it, doesn't it? Because I think he, he saw it coming, because he's isn't his partner from um, out sort of Asia way and, um, you um, know. And- yeah, I think she's from Singapore and I think that she also works in the NHS. Yes. I think she had a little intel but I mean either way I remember reading this blog where he'd sort of gone into this elaborate detail about how he'd sort of reduce his team and how he'd mitigate risk and how he'd try to like keep some level of production going and you know each to their own everyone dealt with how they managed um keeping their business going mm. is managing how yeah. they keep their business going in their own way but um yeah I remember reading that blog and thinking it's a bit like over the top, isn't it? It's a bit like, and I think we had Adam from Verdant come up here like, oh, must have been, I don't know, the first week of March. And he was like, I'm supposed to be in Spain, but there's this thing, so I've cancelled it. We'll just see what happens. And then all of a sudden it was like real. So yeah, we, um, Hamish, our production manager. So there was literally myself, Bates and Hamish. I was running sort of the business side and, orders and you know doing all the office work and uh, Bates was like on the recipes and brewing and Hamish was on all of our efficiencies and getting our trying to get our schedule together because we were going four months so we were like wanting to sort of forecast a bit yeah and everything was like ticking along nicely and it just went and Hamish Hamish's wife was like six months pregnant seven months pregnant at the time so he was like I think we should follow all the guidelines. I think, you know, I, I have to make it in that delivery room. And then we were like, uh, let's get a line out on some cans because that's probably going to be the biggest thing that sort of dries up quick in the supply chain. Mm. And then just ringing up all of our suppliers, all of our wholesalers. And Bates was ringing the suppliers. I was ringing the wholesalers and just seeing who, you know, what orders we could keep on. And then, and then just getting on the phone to absolutely everyone you know, we, we we have done lots of events probably because of the collabs and things. So we, we know a lot of trade places and we were just ringing around. Um, we knew we'd have to open up 
you know, more of a direct route to market, push the website. Um, we, we weren't going to open up a local tap room or anything in the immediate horizon anyway. And because of Hamish, we thought, right, if anyone on our team goes down, we don't work as business. So we have to all be really careful. Yeah. And then, and then we, we shut production for three weeks <laughs> and all of a sudden we got a rush on the online and we're like, damn it, we could have put some more <laughs> in <there." laughs> So then we had a shortage and then that, that's just as hard to handle hmm. as having oversupply. So, and then the whole, the whole time it's been, you know, this ricochet up and down of trying to make sure you've got the right product at the right time, whether that's kegs or cans, you know. So in July we could have sold probably quadruple the amount of kegs we had yeah um, and in 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 early april mid-april we probably could have sold triple the amount of cans we had <laughs> mm. so as a business owner then how how do you manage that kind of um roller coaster of emotion um because obviously it's, it's very hard to separate you know your your internal life from you know how you can do your business because essentially that's where mm. the, the lifeblood of the, of the business comes from its owners uh, particularly small yeah. sort of family-led businesses like yourselves um, it's like down the barrel of a gun it's literally like mm. looking at everything you care about and feel really strongly about and have dedicated your life to and thinking this could all go up in smoke so i think you manage it by thinking of a, a, a real critical path and what is absolutely necessary and what isn't and for me what was absolutely necessary was keeping our routes to market open. So yep. letting everyone know we are here and we are open for business and what, whatever it is you need, if it's, you know, quick delivery, if it's um, lower order volumes, if it's extra things for your customers, whether that's a tour or some extra point of sale goods, you know, or whatever it is we can do, I want you to know that we're going to do our best to do it. So, so that's what it was for me. For Bates, it was like, we need to speak about our hop contracts and our grain and like, we'll look at production. We'll maybe try to adjust the range that we offer if we have to. And, um, you know, look at, look at ways that we can simplify the offering to just make sure that we, we, we come through the other side. Um, yeah, so it became really admin heavy and obviously a lot more on the warehouse side. And um, we slowed down all of the beers, which was great for the beers because we gave them just the extra time they needed. Um, and then, yeah, went entirely to packaging into cans, which means there was more labour involved. Um, also changing the customer type from wholesale and full pallets to, you know, web shop and little orders or trade accounts being able to take little orders that was a lot more on the invoicing, a lot more on packaging. Mm. So we just had to like, yeah, change, change the way we did things. Um, I don't think we changed our marketing strategy that much. We were always been quite noisy and talkative, let's say, yeah. <laughs> um, on social media. So I feel like it just, it was really handy to have this romantic kind of lovely story to tell. So we were just like, we're going to stay positive. We're only ever going to put out, you know, the parts of the business that we think people will enjoy because we need to maintain as many customers as we can and 
their own lives are going to be filled with their own worries and job securities and everything else so beautiful landscapes um you know celebrating the way that we brew beer and just focusing on the good um is what we're going to do yeah well i mean one of the things i think duration is really good at is is marketing um you know i mean my business hot forward um basically was branding and marketing for beer related businesses so you know i'm always watching with keen interest what brewers and those kind of businesses are doing and um you you know your website's very nice looking um but you know i was i was impressed um that um you guys send out press releases um Mm -hmm. because the only other brewery that i'd come across um until i've started seeing a little bit more not that much more uh the only other brewery that's really kind of been of note particularly since covid has been utopian um, who do press releases and send out samples and stuff and and all the rest of it and um i always find it before i got in the brewing industry i was um a musician and i've done like press releases for for musicians and all the rest of it so it's it's kind of like that as a musician that's kind of par for course you just kind of when you put a single out or an album or or you got an event you do a press release you you generate interest that way and and for for brewers when they don't you know and it's got something interesting particularly like you know you go again you guys do well because you've got a really rich story to tell um but it's it's yeah, it just boggles me when brewers don't because you talk to some brewers and you'll ask them some, you know, about, oh, how did the brew come to be or tell me about this beer? And they've got this like absolutely cracking story. Mm. And people buy into stories more than they buy into products and services. Like, you know, if you can, if you can craft a narrative mm. that's really strong. Yeah. And and like you say, it's, it has it pulls on those heartstrings. It gives the information that people need. Then pe- people are more likely to, to buy into it yeah. um people buy with their eyes they buy with their taste buds and they buy with their emotions don't yep. they yes and I mean, i'm not trying to push our product story business to make people buy into it but i do think that our marketing i am very particular about it and bates probably is a bit more of a purist and he's like if i do good things it will sell itself and i'm like possibly <laughs> um and I've, I've i've had chats you know with people like melissa cole and matt curtis and they've always sort of sold me the benefits of having a good press release or a good front person to sort mm. of speak your your views and yeah i mean i used to do fundraising and um outreach for a charity and i mean i wasn't a chugger i was just i was more like um business development and looking for for ways for that charity to sort of expand its reach and um yeah i guess in in charity there's like kids cats and cancer aren't there that that people sort of like (laughs) go nuts over and yeah with beer it's just really it's really evocative and it's it's also just really easy to be quite authentic i think especially Mm. at this small end of beer you know, there's this huge battle going on with big beer and little beer and market share and all that kind of stuff. And I mean, I try to stay away from too much politics. I just want to do what I want to do. And and if I find people that like it, then I'll stay there. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I feel like, I feel like marketing's always felt important to me and that helps because it doesn't feel important to Bates. And what's really important for Bates is that he feels 
away from having to sort of he sees it probably a bit like being a monkey he's like oh I've got to tap dance or I've got to do whatever for for the crowd whereas I think if if we can protect him so that he can really focus on the beer I feel like that's where his creative talents should Mm. go yeah totally I um I've I've been listening to a lot of the Beach Boys and Brian Wilson um over the course of covid and i mean he's got a fascinating story and how um this documentary i was watching about um basically the the sort of 70s and early 80s for the beach boys where um you know brian wilson had this breakdown um and depression was a lot of it was drug induced and all the rest of it and he just kind of went off pop but part of it came down to the fact that he's you know this creative genius that wants to make avant-garde musical art and then you've got people like mike love and al jardine who are like no we need we need to smash out the hits people want to hear like the surfing hits all over again and have that nostalgia and you know and and he can't cope with the pressure and it's just kind of like and he's got all record label breathing down his neck you know you need yeah. to be producing X amount of these yeah. albums. And, and it's like, yeah, I think that the, the kindest thing you can do to somebody who's, who's creative and has got that kind of very particular skill, mm-hmm. particularly if they shy away from any of the sort of more business aspects or so on, is, is to kind of like let people do the thing they're best at um, and, and cr- crack on with their art, whatever it is, yeah. you know, and, and find the right people for your team to do the other stuff that they're good at. You know, like if yeah. you've got someone who's great at admin, you know, and love spreadsheets and pouring over numbers and stuff like, and I've, I've, I mean, I've, I've been exposed to it myself in businesses and stuff. And I've, I've seen other businesses and brewers where it's, you know, it's like where it's founder led and the, you've got a brewer who's really passionate about making beer, but all of a sudden they're thrust into a realm of having to, you know, do sales and they hate it. Yeah. And then they don't and sell I, much. I love, and... I love talking to people. So I, it's not so much I like the sales. It's more that I, I love finding out what it is about beer that people enjoy. And often it's that connectivity. And I, I often think like beer is a little bit like having a religion. It's like mm. it's your way of, you know, interacting with the world, greeting people. And even if it's just a regular old pub setting or it's a bottle share or it's getting really geeked out over the ingredients, or it's like from a sort of historical point of view and thinking of like the regionality of beer and how over time beer stars have sort of tied themselves to places and all that kind of stuff. I feel like beer can be so many things to so many people. Mm. And sometimes it's just shut up, don't talk about the beer, let's just chat together and the beer is just a vehicle for an for an occasion so i love all of that side of it so as long as bates makes me delicious tasty beers i can find lots of ways in which people can come together and enjoy them in a beautiful setting and norfolk is kind of like its own you know entity and brand in itself Mm. so it did seem like a huge leap of faith to come out here and um and it was you know a bit of a gamble really and then you know we put a huge amount of energy and resource and time and money into sort of making it work the way we want to and um yeah I don't feel like COVID's even gonna I think we're gonna look back on it hopefully if we're still here you know and be like it actually strengthened a lot of what we feel and what we think and it helped us embed into our local community probably quicker you know people were hunting out 
and going direct to producers because maybe the supply chain had fallen down a little bit. So I feel like it's actually forged what we want to do quicker. And definitely time went into this sort of yo-yo of like warp speed and slow-mo. And yeah, in the midst of all of that, it's like being in the eye of a storm. But I feel like we hunkered down. We were like, right, we stopped production for a bit. Oh no, there's demand. Let's up production. And then it was like, right, we need to really think about all of the processes and how we do them so that it's scalable because we're going to have to shift a lot of beer in a smaller format to, to different customers. So it really made us like piss or get off the pot in all honesty, <laughs> just get on with it. So we've like doubled our team size during COVID. We've increased our seller capacity by 40%. We've made like massive innovations um, in some of our processes and um, and just managed to sort of keep afloat really. So it's, it's I find it's been hugely challenging from a personal perspective. Like it's felt very, if the brewery doesn't survive, what happens to me, Miranda? Mm. I found that. And because we funneled away from other people, like barely seen my family and um, I almost couldn't relate to just chit chat. So people were wanting to ring me for a chat and I was like, I don't know how to relate. I haven't been furloughed. I've just been working loads, <laughs> homeschooling, you know, so it it was really mentally challenging. And I think that's another amazing thing. I think everyone now is so much more ready to talk about like mental wellbeing and it's okay not to be okay. Mm, particularly after homeschooling. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Yeah. Anyone who's a parent out there listening to this right now is like, oh yeah. Yeah. But oh. but I feel like actually, so I've got um um I've got a condition called bipolar, which makes me quite frenetic and kind mm. of um I think Again, I kind of see that as something that really challenges me, sometimes feels like it's going to break me. But actually, I wouldn't have done half the things I've done in life if I didn't have this insatiable energy cycle inside me. Mm. Um, So, yeah, I think we've all had to have check-ins, haven't we, on how we're feeling and, you know, what doesn't break you makes you stronger, but it so nearly breaks you. So I feel like it's been a real growth period for me personally and for my business. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, we, we have to, you, you, you've got to be thankful for things, you know, and find stuff to be thankful for and throughout all this, because it, it will suck you down otherwise. And again, it's, it's like you say, it's finding those, the silver liner, so to speak, you know, whatever um, cliche you want to use, but you, yeah. you know, finding that thing and, and, being like no I'm, I'm gonna do this i'm gonna i'm gonna overcome yeah. and it sounds great talking about retrospectively on a podcast but when you're going through it you're just like this is hell this yeah. is awful it's not gonna work don't you think it was like don't sweat the small stuff you know like mm. at certain points we've got an amazing team here like amazing each one of them runs my business like it's their business mm. and we've also sort of taken on a couple of freelancers and yeah, the investment that the people have in our business lets me know that the business itself is worth it, whether I'm running it, Bates is running it, whether it's our baby, it's our passion. You know, I feel 
a really pleased that I've got some autonomy in my life because I think for a lot of people it's it's you know it's just not been that way yeah but equally with that comes a real amount of responsibility like you know if sales weren't going to come in in March the business goes wrong pretty quick you know we've took on debt we've sold our house we've um you know got a small shareholding and and there's rent to pay and there's equipment to repay and there's salaries to pay and you know so I was like right I've got a real weight of responsibility here that for the team and just for my pride that I've put three years into this I don't want it to go down the pan and all of that you know at certain points I was just I couldn't see straight for pressure and it's like you're Brian Wilson but not because I had this internal song to sing just because I was like I just don't want to fail at something but actually Mm. the thing I've learned is so many businesses are going to go under and I think every single one of those businesses has had crippling external conditions and they should hold their head up even if they do have to shut their doors like I genuinely feel like there isn't it's redefined what we see as success yeah like I just think I feel I've moved mountains in the last six months seven months and I've learned how much my team are amazing and I've seen the dedication of you know like just going around our shareholding and telling them where we're at and what we're doing and, you know, what we're going to need and what, what they can do to help. And just the level of sort of solidarity that's come out of this, at least in our industry has felt amazing. And I don't know how it is for other sectors, but there's a unification that's happened. I think is a, is like a truth that we won't be able to just when life goes back to normal, there will have been relationships forged and lessons learned. And mm. Well, yeah. I think the growth thing, um, I mean, I touched upon that with um, Jimmy from Unity on the, the podcast I did with him recently, how um, this growth always had this very capitalistic mindset attached to it, you know, like a financial mindset, um, <laughs> you know, growth equals more profit, more money in the mm-hmm. bank. And um, my thinking on that was turned upside down when I read a book called A Company of One by a guy called Paul Jarvis, who was arguing that um, you don't necessarily need to be a company of one person like I am, <laughs> my, my business is, but, um, you know, it could be a, just a, a, a small company, but it's got this mindset where it's like, you know, bigger isn't better, better is better. And you can get better at what you deliver and how you treat your customers and 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 so on, or and and strive for growth and excellence in in those areas. And I think um, you know, w- w- again, coming back to Emmanuel's when I'm talking about my one barrel brewery, this part of me that feels a bit embarrassed, particularly when I'm doing like podcasts with people like yourself, where you know you got these big breweries and and you, you probably know, you- know more about brewing than me, though. Do you know what I mean? Like especially when I do these tours, a lot of people I always say like, there's no idiot questions. Mm everyone's on a journey in beer and that's why we're all here and on this tour anything goes like you can ask any question it's not about being a snob and geeking out so yeah don't ever feel that yeah i, I mean I, I think i think what i learned is you know and again this was through the experience i had with sheffield brewery and, and having tied my brand into that and the complexities of all of that was you know what, what, it's that like that song by um Joni Mitchell, Big Yellow Taxi, you know, don't it always seem to go that you don't know what you've got till it's gone. And like when I stopped doing that, I, it, it felt like a big relief in a lot of ways. So I, was, I was like, I'm exhausted from this. It's really taken its toll on me and my family. 
I need to step back from it. But I realized that um, even just doing it in some shape or capacity was a win. And so the fact that I've converted my cellar and I've got a uni tank in there and, and you know, canning machine, I'm like, come on. It's like, I've got a brew in my cellar. Like that's, 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 that, you know, in some ways I've gone full circle is what, when I first started yeah. brewing years ago, that's what I wanted. You know, I've kind of come back to it and it's manageable. Um, and again, it's that thing of like, it the doesn't have to be better is definitely better. Better is always better. Bigger yeah. is better. And you're just, you become a slave. Um, you know, to, to a different set of values. And then like, is the profit even better at that bigger level? The profit might just be just right when you stay at a smaller level and manage to look after your teams well. Like, yeah, I mean, we, we've, we've ended up with a few sort of slogan catchphrases that we say, and one is good, good beer made with good people in a way that respects where we are. You know, we always wanted to, well, we inherited a site that inherently made us think sustainably. And if we hadn't committed to that site, we never would have learned those values and had to live by them. And now we're invested in them. And like, I don't know, I remember reading um, Beyond the Pale by, is it Ken Grossman? Um, yes. Founder of Sierra Nevada. And like, the way he talks about, you know, the end of the 70s or early 80s and building this little brew house where the barn doors open out and he puts a little, you know, tarp over the top to be able to fit the whole brew kit into this tiny little space. And he goes around doing deals to, to give away his bottles to get them into market. You know, you think of that and like, I don't know if it's the struggle that is really beautiful or the fact that he came so far, but he's come so far in a way where his brewery is like entirely sustainable. And, you know, a lot of the people that you meet around that brew house have all been with him for, you know, mm. you know, decades. And I just think there's something about authenticity and beer and I think it's it's really easy to, to have the two. Maybe it's because it's such a small industry. So, yeah, if it wasn't right for you um, with your conflict of in interest trying to look after two brands, even if you've paired it back, it's yours now, isn't it? Yeah. So you, you own that. That's No one can take that away from you. That's yours to control now. So yeah. you don't have to work for the man or you know, whatever. Yeah, the, really I <laughs> feel like I should throw a TV out the window or something at this point. Um, well, I mean, th th thank you for being on the show today, Miranda. Um, just, to, just, just two questions to round up quickly. Like, where do you see the beer industry heading over the next year, and what's next for duration? Oh, where do I see the beer industry heading over the next year? I think one thing this year has learned taught me is you can't have a crystal ball. Like I'm still in a very reactive state where it's just mm. like, what are we going to need to do next week? So trying to, yeah, let's put the long goggles on. I think hopefully people will remember the breweries that looked after them in this and maybe they'll have a wider understanding of what it means to support independent beer. Um, I also think that the cards will have, invariably played into the bigger hands a little bit more and there mm. probably is going to be a few more you know acquisitions and things like that um 
I think in Norfolk, people are going to be drinking a lot more quality beer made from a brewery called Duration, mm-hmm. possibly a bit beyond, you know, and we've, we've got a new sales guy in place at the moment. And uh, so all kinds of, you know, we'd never really looked to export before now. So, so um, yeah, maybe, well, who knows what's going to happen with Brexit, actually. I was going to say Brexit. I think, Brexit. I think my answer is essentially I don't know. And... I'm just going to roll with the punches in terms of my business. But I think the way that I govern my business is to be true to what we want to do, which is to take beer somewhere a little bit new. And for us, that is through really focusing. We focus a lot on our water. um, And also not always making the key ingredient hops Um, but thinking more about the interplay between all of the ingredients and trying to go for balance. I love, I love it when people have not had a a beer style before and out here when, when I, you know, when people come to our, we have a brewery kiosk and people come and pick up beers and then they come back the next week and say, Oh, I really like that one. It was like a grisette or it was, you said it was the Belgian one and (laughs) And, you know, I feel like, I don't know if it's something in the palette around here, but but these would have been the beers that people would have enjoyed traditionally, mm. probably in this kind of lifestyle out here, like work in the field. So, yeah, I feel like for us, the beers that you're going to see, hopefully will keep pushing that button a little bit more and celebrating styles that maybe if we all just listen to the audience and the audience dictates, you know, God forbid if we all have to drink Nipahs for another couple of years. So I feel like in beer, maybe we're going to see, yeah, I do know what I'm talking about then. Maybe we're going to see palettes evolve a little bit. And I think that, um, I think that well-made beer and like real good product integrity um, and also, you know, a variety of styles maybe should come back. Yep. Absolutely. Well, I mean, I've noticed on your webshop that you've got um, a good variety of styles there. So uh, where can people go buy those? So we work with independent trade up and down the country. Um, So, yeah, there's probably a bottle shop on your high street that has some duration on the shelves. And if you can't find it there, um, then you can come to our website. And if you happen to find yourself in Norfolk safely because you can travel, um, then then head on over to the brewery on a Friday or a Saturday. Amazing. Thank you. The Hot 4 podcast this week was proudly brought to you by TEP Machinery Movement. TEP Machinery's fleet of lifting equipment, forklifts and vehicles, coupled with their highly experienced team and extensive knowledge gained over 40 years, means they can support you with all your equipment installation, removal and movement requirements, as well as providing support for your ongoing maintenance and repair access needs. Ensure your equipment is placed in the right location, first time, every time. Give TEP Machinery Movement a call today on 01937 558 203. That's 01937 558 203. Thanks for tuning in to the Hot 4 podcast this week. Don't forget we're here to help you get ahead in the brewing and beer business. So hit the subscribe button for more insights into the beer industry. Connect with us at hotforward.beer or through our social media channels at hotforwardbeers. Until next time, cheers. Uh,